This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Today we're going to be reading in Genesis 26, verses 34 through 35, and then we're going to read Genesis 27, verses 1 through 40. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Berai the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basmath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. 27. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son? And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, and my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father? And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, 
See, the smell of my son is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished the blessing, had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully. And he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Amen. Welcome, Antioch. Good morning, church. Good morning, those who are worshiping with us online. Thank you, Kat, for plowing through that long passage. You know, you can't make this stuff up. This story is real. None of the names were changed because there was no one innocent, right? I mean, this plot can be found borrowed in Shakespearean plays. Read Othello. You'll see very similar things. I believe he got it from this this passage. You can see this plot in TV shows and in movies, right, where one character pretends to be another and ends up making the audience laugh or sometimes cry. Uh, But all four of the characters, make no mistake, all four of the characters in this Bedouin tragic comedy are guilty, But Moses, the narrator, makes no editorial comments, does he? He doesn't tell us what to believe about Jacob or what to believe about Esau or what to believe about Isaac and Rebekah. He simply tells it like it is. He shows the rival strategies of father and favorite son versus mother and favorite son. We see it all here in living color. And we see how all of this serves God's purposes. Now, there are lies and deception, even blasphemy in this story. That's not God's purpose. 
But God uses all these things to fulfill his plan. Now, before we, we got to the main, get to the main points, I want a cat to read the last two verses in chapter 36 because that's where Elon makes his first appearance, right? Go, Elon. No, actually, I wanted her to read that because you see Esau married two pagan wives. One pagan wife wasn't enough. He went ahead and doubled down and married two pagan wives, and it made Isaac and Rebekah's life bitter. In the next chapter, you will see that when he saw how much it displeased his parents that he'd married these wives, he went ahead and married a couple of Ishmaelite, or at least one Ishmaelite women says a lot about Esau's character, but it also says something about Isaac's character. He made his father's life bitter with these marriages, and yet he was still Isaac's favorite son, right? It says something about Isaac in his, in his latter years, right? He's old now. His eyes are dim, and I would submit to you that maybe his faculties are as well. I think they've dimmed a bit, not just his eyesight. He thinks he's about to die, and so he wants to give Esau his blessing, and we'll find out that Isaac (laughs) goes 20 more years. Uh, But he goes ahead and decides he's going to give the blessing now. And notice the whole thing centers on food, (laughs) right? It's, It's all about food, right? He says... You know, and, and look, he knows the oracle that God had spoken to Rebekah before these boys were ever born. You know he knows this oracle because you know Rebekah reminded him regularly. I know you like Isaac, but this is the one right here, right? Isaac knew all of that, but he's preparing to do it his way. He wants to have it his way and not God's way. And so, honestly, the, more, the older he gets, the more... He, he seems to be led by his flesh, by his palate, by his appetites, and not by his good sense. His five senses rather than his good sense. Derek Kidner said that his palate had long since governed his heart and silenced his tongue, for he was powerless to rebuke the sin that was Esau's downfall. And he ends up rejecting the evidence of his ears for that of his hands, following the promptings of his palate and seeking inspiration through, of all things, his nose. Right? We, saw, we see all of that. In this story. So Isaac prepares to bless his older son and he asks him first to prepare him, quote, delicious food such as I love, that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Make my belly happy, Esau, and you'll get a great blessing, right? Bring me something good. Now that leads us to the main, three main points of the passage. We're going to talk about plot, showtime, and denouement. Plot, the plot of the story. Is hatched because there's actual pictures there because Rebecca overheard Isaac talking to Esau about the kill, kill and the meal and the thrill of the blessing that would follow. Listen, did it occur to you what if Rebecca had not overheard Isaac plotting this thing with Esau? Oh no, what if Isaac had ended up eating Esau's food and then blessing him? What would God have done then? I think God would have figured that one out. What do you think? Right? God had a plan. God's purposes will stand no matter what. But, but Rebecca, we, we know she did not have to hatch this plot because God had already told her that, that Jacob would be the one who would be blessed, that his older brother would serve him, not the other way around. God does not need her help. 
and he does not need our help. Here's a principle. We should never take matters in our own hands to get what we think God wants us to have. We don't have to do that. Remember Jesus said, do not fear little children. It is my pleasure to give you the kingdom. And yet sometimes we have to manipulate and plot and plan. Notice that it might appear Jacob has a little twinge of character here. He has a twinge of conscience when his mother tells him his plan, her plan, right? All right, what if I get, what, what if I, I get cursed? I don't think it's so much that he's a, a, afraid of doing what's wrong. He's afraid of what? Getting caught, right? That's the, <laughs> that, there's nothing new under the sun. That's, that's not today's ethics. That's every day's eth- ethics since the sin in the garden. We call it situational ethics, right, 101. Do whatever you need to do. If it includes deception, no big deal. The main thing is just don't get caught. Because if you don't get caught, then it's not wrong. It's only wrong if you get caught. Ken Hughes writes about this. He says, the variations of this ethical absurdity are endless. A man says, it's God's will that I provide for my family. Therefore, a partial truth told to the client is okay. He'll never know. He goes on, it's God's will that his word be preached with power. So the use of made-up illustrations and even made-up personal stories, that's fine. They enhance the truth of God's word. Or how about this one? God's want, God wants people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So it's okay to use unbelievers and entertainers to draw people in to hear his word. You get the point. So Jacob says to his mom, I might end up bringing a curse upon myself. And she said, don't worry about it. I'll take that curse for you. As if Rebecca had authority to decide who would take the curse from God, right? She says, only obey my voice. Only obey my voice. Listen, everyone, especially young people. Listen, young people. If anyone tells you to do something wrong, and you know it's wrong, and, but they say, just obey me and do this, what should you do, obey them or God? Right, the answer is always God, right? The answer is always God. You don't ever do something you know is wrong simply because someone you trust told you to do it. But Jacob did what his mother told him to do, and Rebecca knew that she could prepare some gamey-tasting goat yuck, that would taste just as delicious as whatever Esau could kill and drag back to the camp because she could do it in less time. And look, that was important, right? Timing was essential here. And you see this plot line in movies and stories, right? The, 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 the person comes walking in just as the other person leaves, exit stage left, right? It wouldn't do for Esau to come back and find Jacob in the tent with his father feeding him a meal. That would lead to a bad ambiance and maybe even fratricide. I'm telling you, you can't make this stuff up. So the final touches are complete When Rebekah makes a meal that will appeal to Isaac's stomach, puts some of Esau's clothes on Jacob to help him look and smell like his brother, goat skins on his arms and even on the back of his neck so he will feel like his brother. So we're ready. The fix is in. The props, the costumes are ready. It's time for showtime. It's hard to make a base out of a tenor. So one of the things that, that Jacob cannot disguise is what? His voice, right? He's disguised everything else, but Isaac says, you sound a lot like, like Esau, right? 
And Jacob's eyes must have widened at that point. Uh, if, it, you know, and Isaac goes on, he says, but your hands feel like, your, your voice sounds like Jacob. Your hands feel like Esau. Those goatskin cl- gloves did the trick. So he failed the ear test. He didn't sound like his brother. He couldn't make that happen, but he passed the touch test. Now notice the lies in here. First lie. A- Isaac asked him, who are you? Jacob says, I'm Esau, your firstborn. And then he, and he says, how did you get this game so quickly? Because the Lord, your God, granted me success. You see what Jacob does there? He raises the stakes with the lie and includes God in it. He drags God into his lie. We would call that blasphemy. Right? And then the third lie. Are you really my son Esau? Jacob doesn't hesitate. I am. So the deception is almost complete, at least the verbal part. Next, he's going to pass the taste test. Isaac eats the meal. He drinks the wine. His belly's satisfied. Tastes just like what Esau would have made for him. He thinks Esau did make him, make it for him. But, but Isaac's still a little bit curious, a little bit suspicious, right? So what comes next? The smell test. Come a little closer. Come give me a kiss because he wanted to smell him. You know, the olfactory test is almost always a dead giveaway. When you smell a smell that doesn't fit with the rest of what's going on. So Jacob was ready, though. He's wearing big brother's clothes. They've been laying out in the field probably for weeks. They smelled like it. And Isaac can't see, but his nose is working just fine. And he starts his blessing with that. He says with rapture, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Some of you guys who work in fields with farm animals know exactly what that smells like. So Isaac then speaks, speaks a three-part blessing over his son. First, he asks for God's prosperity on Jacob. He says the dew of heaven. He mentions that. And, and the dew of heaven was a, a theme in the Old Testament. It speaks of God's provision. It speaks of the refreshment that would be in, a, in the evening air, right? It's been a hot day, and that dew in the air cools us in that hot Mediterranean climate. The fatness of the earth, the plentiful grain, the plentiful wine speak of fertility and abundance. He's saying, you're going to have this. I'm blessing you with prosperity. Second, he, he blesses him with prominence. He says, you're going to be served by your brothers, right? People will bow down to you. People, nations, and brothers will bow down to you and serve you. And then Isaac says, you'll be protected. Those who, those who curse you will be cursed, and those who bless you will be blessed. So the charade works. Jacob, acting like Esau, has gotten what he wanted. Barely gotten out of the tent. When it happens, Esau walks into the camp. And that leads us to denouement. If this story were plotted out, the rising action is the plan. If you think of this as a story, which is what it is, it's a real-life story, it really happened. The rising action is the plan, the plot, the deception. The climax of the story is what? What's the, what's the, the pinnacle of the story? He got the blessing. Right? Isaac blesses Jacob, his, his younger son, the one he's not favor, doesn't favor. And so the falling action, the resolution, the denouement, French word that simply means falling action, what, everything is resolved there is the return of the hunter who has now not only given up his birthright, but has lost his blessing. But even falling action can have dramatic elements. The first dramatic element is when fat and happy Isaac Stuffed with goat and wine. Here's the tent flap open. And he smells 
another gourmet meal coming his way. A certain scent of field and stream attire with it. And he hears a bass voice saying, Time to eat, Dad. <laughs> I'm back with that game you wanted. And Isaac's heart starts to pound and he says, Who, who are you? And again, the answer in a gruff voice, I'm your son, your firstborn, Isaac, I mean Esau. So that's when Isaac starts to tremble. He's trembling violently. Esau's goes, Esau's eyes goes wide if, as he realizes, maybe, we'll give Esau too much credit probably, but he maybe he realized at that point something's gone horribly wrong. The music swells, and Isaac asks a question that he knows the answer to. Who was the first Esau that brought me game, and I ate, and I blessed him? And then he says, yes, and he shall be blessed. Now, Isaac, I think, perhaps finally realizes at this point, we don't, he doesn't say it. We can't give, put God, a word in, words in God's mouth here. But I think maybe Isaac realized for the first time that God's plan, his plan to bless Esau was a fool's errand all along. That God's plan that he had heard from Rebekah for the last however many years was that Jacob was the, the line. So Esau knows for sure now that he's been tricked by his younger brother and there's a bitter cry. He says, bless me, even me, also my father. Now, he accuses Jacob here of doing what? He says, he's tricked me, he's deceived me, he's stolen from me twice. This heel grabber has taken something from me two times. Now, you guys know the story. Did Jacob steal from him twice? Not really. Esau gave up his birthright gladly willingly. Why? Because at that moment, what was more important to him was his appetite, his gut, his stomach, his hunger, than the birthright. He gave that up. And that's why the Bible says that, that Esau, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Esau, what? Despised his birthright. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says that, you know, that, that um, uh, Esau is an unholy, an ungodly man because he, he wept, but there was no getting back what he had lost because he gave it freely. And so he says, Father, you mean you don't have another blessing for me tucked away somewhere? And Isaac says, you know, son, how in the or orchestra there's that primary chair for the violin. What do they call that? Yeah, the, the first violin. And you know the other person beside him, you know what they call him, right? And Esau says, yes, yeah, second fiddle, right? So and that's, that's you, your second fiddle. He gives Esau the anti-blessing. It's interesting. He gives him the opposite of what he gave Jacob. He says, you're, you're not going to live in abundance and the fatness and dew of heaven, but away from it. You're going to live away from it. Second, your people are going to live by the sword. You're going to be a violent people. And you know what the saying is, if you live by the sword, what? Yeah. Third, he says, your people are going to serve Israel all their lives until they finally move away from the promised land. It's a sad state of affairs. And as we study Esau, there's a little bit of redemption in Esau as we see him reconcile with Jacob. And we'll get to that in December. Vic's going to bring that message to you. But it's a wonderful story of reconciliation. But Esau was never a godly man. 
He was never a man after God's own heart. And Jacob at this point doesn't seem very godly, but he is the chosen one, and we're going to see a tremendous transformation in him that we never really see in Esau and the people who follow after him. Uh, The effects of this patriarch, Esau, for his family are not good. Ken Hughes says about this family drama, but in and above this is something of immense beauty and grandeur, the invincible determination of God to keep his word despite the prevailing unbelief and unfaithfulness of his people. God fulfilled his word despite Isaac's opposition, despite Rebekah and Jacob's manipulation, and despite Esau's indifference. You know, one of the themes that we've talked about all the way through this book in Genesis is that, is that God is sovereign. We see these toldotes, these, these generations. We see God's blessing being passed on from one to the other, and it is unstoppable. And the unstoppable blessing of God that came upon Seth and then came upon Abraham and came upon Isaac and now Jacob and then Joseph, that unstoppable blessing, Judah, the tribe of Judah, will continue until Jesus splits the skies and we hear the shout and we hear the archangels and we hear the trumpet and we see him and his people who are still alive and those of us who have died in Christ will be swept up into that great cloud of witnesses that already exist, my mom and others included in that. And we will see that God never, ever, for one time, dropped the ball. Never changed his plan. His plan from before the foundation of the earth until after the earth is destroyed and a new earth is created is going to proceed exactly the way he intended. What can we take away? As we've said before, playing favorites with one child over the others is always going to cause harm. Right? If you're struggling with that, ask God for help. Do something about it. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Jen Wilkins, great quote. She said, you might like one child more than the other, but you must love each child uniquely. Because each one, as we said in the children's sermon, is what? Fearfully and finish it for me. Right. Even the ones you don't like very much right now. And, you know, as we, as we talked about at the men's retreat, I'll remind you, one of those quotes from Ted Tripp or somebody said, you know, if you don't like your children, train them until you do. That's part of the problem, isn't it? Sometimes our children aren't likable because we had not trained them. If you love them, you'll train them. Father loves whom he disciplines, Hebrews 12, right? But look, don't play favorites. It's not going to end well. Number two, we should never take matters into our own hands to get what we believe God wants for us. He is able. He is able. You think God wants something for you? You believe God's called you to something? Don't manipulate the circumstances to make that thing happen. You're just going to end up making a mess. God never makes messes. He's the unmesser. We're the messes. He's the unmesser. And we can trust him with that. Lots of ways we could interpret that, but I'd rather you interpret it. Apply it to your life the way you see fit. Sometimes we try to take matters into our hands to get the husband wives that we think we're supposed to have. We manipulate and we nag and we complain. And guess what? Guys, does that work? (laughs) None of the guys were brave enough to say, no, it doesn't. And the men could do the same thing. You try to make the wife in your own image, the one that you wanted, the one that you, you know, imagined in all your fantasies. Playing with fire, don't do it. 
Don't do it. Right? And number three, deception is one of the things we are to put away all of it. 1 Peter 2, 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Didn't work well for uh, Jacob. Even though he got what he wanted, it's, a, it's, it's not a good look. And God, despite Jacob's deception and Rebekah's, despite Isaac's indifference, or Esau's indifference, and despite Isaac's opposition, as Ken Hughes said, God's going to have his way. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning that your plan is perfect and that we're part of that plan. Thank you for all those who are here under the sound of my voice uh, or, or listening online under the sound of my voice who are born again because we know you, we must be born again, that only those who are born again will see the kingdom of heaven. And those who are born again, there's nothing in your plan for us that can be thwarted by men, by thwarted by circumstance, but thwarted by uh, disease or even death, that nothing uh, separates us from the love of Christ. And so, Lord, help us to walk in that confidence and assurance and not to manipulate or, or to, to maneuver our way into having something, but trust you that you will give it in time and that we have all that we need in Christ because we have you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's greet one another in the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.